Aloha, Ronnie Landis here. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. I am also the founder of the Holistic Health Mastery Certification Course. You can find more information about that at holistichealthmastery.com. And you can find more information about me at my personal website, www.ronnie-landis.com. And wow, oh wow, do we have a conversation for you today. I have to say that this is a type of conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. And not to say that we haven't been able to really dial in a lot of this subject matter with other people. It's always a difference of perspectives, um, not necessarily a difference of opinions, but a, a distinction of perspective. Everyone's coming from a different angle, a different vantage point to weave together all the nuances that are encapsulated in a conversation like this. But wow, I'm so happy we brought Dr. Tim Jackson on the show because this man is an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. He's like literally a locked treasure chest, and, and I was so happy to be able to put the key in the lock a number of times and just turn that thing and open up Pandora's box of unbelievable instinct, or instinct, a distinct information that he was just able to like really weave together. What was really interesting for me in this conversation is we really dove into the the analytical, scientific understanding of methylation, of detoxification, a different angle on detoxification, on hormones, um, on black mold, which was the first that we got to go into of any interview. I've been wanting to talk about mold infestation in the house and how that applies to um, corrupting or compromising the human immune system over time. Uh, geez, like there's so much that we really compacted in this interview and what I loved about it. And I think what Dr. Jackson really loved about our dynamic is that we essentially have the same body of knowledge, but we completely come at it from two different languages. He is a very scientific, um, uh, you know, grounding in all this information where I come at it from, obviously, I have a scientific grounding as well, but I come at it from the philosophical angle. I come at it from the metaphysical angle, the psycho-emotional spiritual angle. I come at it from a lot of the raw food and more the naturalistic nutrition perspective where Dr. Tim Jackson, he isn't he, he didn't get his original education in nutrition specifically or food nutrition specifically, but he, he has a grounding in biochemistry um, and the education that your your advanced physician might get, like a, like a holistic integrative physician to be specific. And man, it was just so great for us, to, a meeting of the minds to come together and really evolve the conversation and simplify it in a way that I think, even though the information is so advanced, we were able to really streamline it in a way that I think everybody listening to is going to completely understand. It's not uh, convoluted. It's not complicated. It's sophisticated, it's simplified, and it's it's turned into practical strategies that everybody can act on immediately. So 
Without further ado, I'm excited to introduce all of you to Dr. Tim Jackson. Enjoy. Dr. Tim Jackson received his undergraduate degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University in 2003. He completed his doctorate in physical therapy from the Medical University of South Carolina in 2009, realizing that manual therapy and orthopedic care helped only some of his patients. He began studying functional and environmental medicine as well as digestive health in an effort to help others achieve wellness. Dr. Tim is educated in nutritional biochemistry, digestive health, and its systemic effects, as well as functional endocrinology. He recently completed the spine portion of the active release technique methodology, a system that addresses musculoskeletal trigger points and helps to expedite the healing process. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ronnie. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're having me on. I look forward to it, and I think we'll have a lot of good stuff to talk about. Oh, it's unavoidable. <laughs> That's right. It's unavoidable. I've, I've, um, you know, we we've talked back and forth the last couple of weeks through a mutual friend that put us into connection, and um, since then, um, a few little light bulbs have turned on inside of me when I started researching your work, different interviews you've been on, and it really like. The way that I, the feeling that I get listening to your um, your explanation of a lot of the topics that I've steeped myself into, but just from a from more of the natural food and naturally derived supplement and, and overall lifestyle perspectives, it's really cool. As we were kind of talking about before we got onto this, the bridging of two worlds, two languages that you come from an angle where. Um, I wasn't personally, um, my foundation wasn't built from the really strong science and medical perspective, and I'm kind of bridging into that world, so I'm really excited to kind of bridge those two things together here. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, a disconnect between those two worlds a lot of times, and the more we can connect them, you know, the better off people will be. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the best place to start any of these conversations is just a, a synopsis on how you got started in your field. You know, I really like to understand what was the, the impetus behind somebody's um, or what was the catalyst behind somebody actually getting into this field? Because as I'm sure you're aware what I've learned is that people on a healing path or become professionals in the healing field rarely do it because they're totally healthy, right? right. We tend to take that for granted and we overlook that. But usually when we have some kind of um, disorder, um, so to speak, that's usually like the catalyst for us to become more interested. And so I'm curious, like, what's a little bit of your backstory? Yeah, so I went to undergrad at Wake Forest University in North Carolina and I did uh, my intention was to, after graduation, get my medical doctorate. And uh, I did well academically and grade-wise, but um, I was kind of type A, burning the candles at both ends. Uh -huh. And uh, I had a surgery during the winter break of my senior year at undergrad, and that kind of sent me on a downward spiral in terms of my health. And uh, I'd also done plenty of internships at the medical school there, and the doctor said, you know, we think that, you know, the information you're looking for, you're not really going to get in a traditional medical school. So after I graduated, I kind of, you know, wandered here and there doing different jobs, 
but uh, I still was sick, and I finally found um, a doctor who addressed candida and metal toxicity and a few other things in me, and uh, got me to the point where I could, you know, go to a doctorate program, and I was really into um, exercise and nutrition, so I chose physical therapy, and uh, I started rehabbing athletes, um, and at your everyday average Joe after graduation, and I realized I could help people a lot more by balancing their biochemistry, their hormones, you know, their GI health, than by just manipulating their spine or mobilizing their elbow um, or prescribing, you know, a certain set of exercises. So I kind of, you know, studied functional medicine on my own and through, um, you know, different continuing education courses, but most of it's been learning from other doctors and just learning on my own, really. Yeah, and I what comes up for me immediately, how I kind of want to direct this is, um, you know, when I got started in all this, it was interesting because I didn't actually, like, I didn't know that I was being led into this field, but when I was pursuing my professional athletic career in basketball at the time, I was about 23-ish, and I, I was in a transition in my life, so I took a job at the emergency room in a hospital in Oakland as an HIV tester, uh-huh. and I didn't think much of it other than it was a job, but then over three years, I, I became intimately aware of the obviousness of what actually goes on, and I call it the dungeon of the emergency room. right. And in over the years, that's when I got into like raw food and I started like really waking up like in a, in a accelerated pace. And it was kind of like the veil got pulled down from me and I actually saw the reality of what goes on behind the scenes. And I think that kind of laid the foundation for my perspective and, and um, you know, to lead me into this. So anyways, uh, I bring that up because I wanted to get your perspective and also for the benefit of all the listeners, let's discuss um, just very quickly um, some of the challenges that people face with the mainstream medical model and also its connection to the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, I mean, the traditional medical model is very linear in thinking, you know, in other words, they believe that A causes B and then you take remedy C and that gets rid of it. Um, And if you contrast that with the functional medicine model, it's more like, you know, 12 different circles and lines interacting, connecting all the different systems of the body. Um, The traditional allopathic model is that, you know, you get sick, you either take a medicine or you cut it out through surgery and the doctor does the healing, whereas in functional medicine, it's, you know, we kind of remove the barriers to healing and uh, the toxicity and the correct the homeostasis or the balance in the body and then try to return the body, <coughs> excuse me, to a state of, um, you know, internal balance and it helps so that it can regulate itself. And, you know, for example, with different infections and pathogens, if the terrain in the body is correct, meaning that, you know, you don't have a lot of toxins, environmental pollutants, heavy metals, etc., and your immune system is being supported through good nutrition, and you have a good uh, circadian biology, good sleep mm-hmm. cycle, your nutrition is really, you know, um, on par, you're not eating GMO, that sort of thing, then you should be able to really heal yourself. So essentially what I'm actually hearing from you is that we tend to compartmentalize and fragment different conditions. Like, say, for example, you have an issue with your liver. You have an adrenal 
um, uh, exhaustion, you have a thyroid issue. Those are, those are fragmented parts of the body that we localize our attention to and are like, okay, well then this person needs a thyroid medication or this person needs um, uh, a blood thinner or whatever. And we're not really looking integratively and holistically at the whole vehicle being out of balance with one another. It's a lifestyle issue, essentially, correct? Yeah, exactly. And people tend to forget their environment, you know, and I I was guilty of that early on. Mm -hmm. You know, I focused on, you know, nutrition and supplementation and going to bed on time, but I didn't really, it wasn't until 2009 I really began studying mold and VOCs and different mm-hmm. environmental pollutants and, you know, looking at studies, for example, I don't remember what year the study was done, but they looked at people who did aerobic exercise, uh, you know, in an, a rural area versus, uh, you know, polluted inner city area. And they found, uh, you know, that the people who exercised in the inner city area really had um, a lot of c- more cardiovascular negative events than people who exercised in a rural area and weren't exposed to pollution. So, um, you know, people today say, oh, you know, traditional medical model, if you ask a traditional allopath, they'll say, oh, we have built-in detoxification mechanisms. There's no need for detox. Mm. But those mechanisms only can tolerate so much. And the average baby born today has between 200 and 250 known carcinogens. That's Mm -hmm. just carcinogens. That's not other toxins. So you're coming into the world toxic, and then you're exposed through air, food, water, you know, you name it. Um, and so, you know, you can easily see how you start off, you know, behind the eight ball in terms of your health and wellness, and you have to really fight to kind of get it back. That's such a brilliant point. You know, what, bring, what that brings up for me, I, I've done a lot of um, research and work into um, prenatal care um, preconception um, detoxification and I've been educated by um, a lot of colleagues on the reality that you know a lot of these toxins these these um, pesticides or even parasite infections or lead heavy metals they get transferred through the umbilical cord is that correct that is absolutely correct and then another important point to, along with the toxins is uh, you know you've probably heard me mention the term stealth pathogens and a lot of us are walking around mm-hmm. with pathogens. And most people, when they think of pathogens, they think of an acute infection, um, you know, like you have a cold or the flu. But viruses and other pathogens exist on a more um, dubious level as well yes. by just creating uh, constant inflammation in the body. They can get into the brain and activate a type of cell that's called the microglia. It's a white blood cell. And that long-term creates brain fog and eventually neurodegeneration. And a lot of those pathogens get passed on in utero from mother to baby. And, uh, you know, if you catch those pathogens as an adult, it's a lot different than catching it as a newborn whose gut, you know, is not probably healthy yet. And they already have all these toxins. So uh, it's very common for mothers to pass on, you know, a load of pathogens to their children. I love that term, stealth pathogens. That totally lines up with when I start studying like 
um, Lyme disease or calcification conditions. And when you, when you study calcification, you come to realize like it's not just about the calcium phosphate crystals or, or whatever calcium material. It's actually behind the scenes. There's nanobacteria that essentially, essentially have infested themselves into certain regions of the body and have built up hard layers to protect themselves from the immune system. That's kind of what, in like cancer cells with the protein encasement and um, biofilms, like that's what I'm getting from that is that they're actually, they're stealth. I never actually heard that term. That's really, that's really interesting. They're hiding behind a layer of, of positively charged toxins that they create kind of like a, a fortress around. Exactly. Yeah, they do that they're very intelligent, and really the reason we call them stealth is because a lot of people think, oh, you know, we, we get the pathogen, we take an antiviral, an antibiotic, but these pathogens have the ability to modulate the yes. immune system. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the very first thing the Lyme spirochete bacteria does is it turns off the plasma cells that produce the humoral immunoglobulins, and so the test that we use, the Western blot, is wrong 46% of the time because it's wow. testing a system that's been turned off. And wow. so, you know, and, and another thing that really gets the immunologists, the traditional ones, is that they don't understand, it. you know, if we have 200 people and we all get the same pathogen, they think we should all have the exact same symptoms. And that's just <laughs> not true. You know, some of us won't get sick at all. Others may be bedridden for two weeks, you know. It's just a very, very different way of looking at things. And the pathogens, uh, especially viruses, you know, they they're essentially parasites because mm. they incorporate their DNA into our DNA. So they require our cells to replicate for their DNA to be passed on. And so when we address viruses, we technically don't kill them. What yes. we do is we silence their expression. Mm, so the, in other words, that's kind of like the concept of terrain modification opposed to antibioticizing something to death, and then it turns into MRSA, antibiotic-resistant strain of bacteria, which we see in the hospital se uh, setting as an epidemic. Um, when we're trying to kill something, it's kind of like a philosophical quandary because we're trying to kill things without modifying the actual inner ecosystem. Right. Not only are we not trying to modify the inner ecosystem, we're not modulating the immune response. Right. So, you know, a lot of people have these toxins, uh, lipophilic, you know, fat-soluble toxins stored in their body. Right. And if we don't get rid of those, the mitochondria, which your listeners have probably heard of, are, you know, the batteries of your cells, they won't work correctly. And when the mitochondria don't work correctly essentially all the systems in your body start to decrease in their functionality. And so, you know, we really have to modify the inner ecosystem. We have to modulate and support the immune system. And, you know, we have to change our environment and our lifestyle. You know, you can't go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and wake up at 6 and expect to get over an infection. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is so great. I, I already have, like, a whole... I'm looking at the constellation of data points and topics to dive into on this. Um, and so I feel like the best place to go, we're kind of giving people like we're, we're laying out the, the blueprint here. But, um, you know, one of the things that I became aware of from studying some of your interviews is that 
you actually had a really, like a really, I call it like an invasive surgical procedure in the dental field. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so the uh, winter break of my senior year as an undergrad student, um, I had braces and I got talked into by the oral surgeon. He said, you know, with your jaw alignment, uh, you, you probably won't have any of your normal teeth uh, by the age of 30. And of course, that's just a scare tactic. Um, you know, none of it was true in hindsight, but they broke my bottom jaw and took bone from it and added it to my upper jaw, my um, maxilla. And this, I was under anesthesia for between eight and eight and a half hours. Um, and technically, the surgery supposedly only should last three to three and a half hours. So, um, you know, I don't know whether the surgeon went on vacation during the surgery or what, but, <laughs> you know, um, it was a very barbaric surgery. They put in 20-something titanium screws, six titanium plates, and, uh, you know, I just never really recovered from that. And, you know, each tooth is connected to a circuit in the body through the acupuncture meridians. And so the other thing is uh, they didn't do what's called a MELISA test, which tests how well your immune system can tolerate certain metals. So my immune system was probably reacting to the titanium. And then finally, in 2014, I was able to find a surgeon in Philadelphia who went in and took out all the um, screws that he could get to and the plates that he could get to. There's still a few in there, but some of them, um, bone had so much bone growth had occurred around them that he said it would cause me too much pain to remove them. Interestingly enough, in Germany, when they do this surgery, they actually bring you back in three months later and remove the metal. But in the U.S., they just keep it in because they think it's safe, and it's totally not safe. Is, is that because of liabilities? Probably that, and they're just lazy. And they don't, <laughs> you know, the insurance, their insurance companies really won't, as far as I know, pay for the revisions. Um, you know, they basically just assume that, okay, you know, you get this metal in, it's fixed, you know, why take it out? It's not hurting anything because they don't see the, or understand the pathological consequences of affecting the jaw and the jaw bone and how cavitations or infections in the jaw can spread bacteria throughout the body. Mm, Yeah, this reminds me of root canals and the, you know, the whole thing with the dental tubules and the periodontal ligament and where... When someone does a root canal procedure, they they essentially just carve out the inner pulp and that inner material, and then and then place the the um, the cement material, if you will, in there, and then cap it. But what is not acknowledged in, by the AMA for or the uh, ADA for sure is that that bacteria in there ferments, and those tubules root into the cardiovascular system and the lymph system. And what they found out was, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's something ridiculous like 97% of people with um, uh, cancer, just a general cancer, um, also had root canal procedures. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's a definite, um, you know, connection between the dental health and uh, root canals, jaw surgery, that sort of thing. Um, infectious bacteria, and that's why, you know, some people will say that oil pulling really helps because it's really kind of pulling out some of the pathogenic bacteria that don't get into your bloodstream then, and that's why certain people with, you know, heart conditions, they'll take uh, prophylactic antibiotics Mm 
before they have a dental cleaning because they don't want those bacteria and those pathogens to infect the heart valves. Oh, interesting. So, um, you know, through what, what's coming to me is through these dental procedures, these, whether it's an extraction or just any kind of procedure, it's an invasive surgery. It's, it's really deep. But essentially, you, there's the, the probability that even when you go in there, certain um, infections like streptococci mutans, bacterial infections that are in the mouth, maybe they're dormant or just incubating, they can be released upon um, surgery. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely they can. And, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, through the acupuncture meridians, but you know, if you look at the um, teeth charts and how each tooth is connected to different organs and different mm. circuits in the body, you know, you can usually correspond symptoms to certain teeth or certain issues with teeth. And that's why, you know, uh, for example, the trigeminal nerve that innervates the face, if it gets stuck or impinged upon at the TMJ, the temporomandibular mm. joint, it locks you into a fight or flight mode. Right. So it's very hard to heal. And so that's another connection between, you know, the oral cavity and the systemic body. That, that um, you know, you hear about this TMG, um, TMJ and people have these like really like you see people on the street and they have these like really contractive like, uh, you know, like, um, uh, you know, issues. And it's like you it's easy to be like, oh, that person's upset. That person's like agitated. But then you look at like the physiological components like, wow, they're actually locked in place in their vagus nerve, which mediates the parasympathetic and sympathetic um, homeostasis is totally like the image I have is just like really tight, like really it's not able to relax. Right. Exactly. And when you're locked in that, you know, fight or flight mode, obviously, you know, you're getting blood flow directed away from the digestive tract. Right. Uh, your immune function is not going to be optimal. Um, it's going to alter your uh, hormonal status. You're going to get uh, pregnenolone steel, um, in the elevated cortisol levels, uh, decreased DHEA levels. So it's basically putting you in what we call a catabolic state, mm. which is a wear and tear or or breakdown state, and you know, and obviously, in order to heal, we need to be in an anabolic state where we're building and repairing and healing. Okay, this is this is great. So when I hear that, I think of from my from my perspective, um, I think of the catabolism and anabolism um, balance as when you wake up in the morning, your body is in a, a catabolic state, aka a detoxification mode so it's purging it's releasing it's flushing out and then my 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 basic assumption is that the basic metabolic process while we're waking up we're moving around we're creating little wear and tear so essentially we're in a catabolic state by definition i guess but then the only time we're truly in a full anabolic rejuvenating repairing state is when we're in a in a deep sleep is that kind of correct yeah, essentially that's correct. Um, you know, during the day as well, if you look at someone's like 24-hour hormone panel, you know, you want to look at the balance of the anabolic hormones being testosterone, right. HGH, DHEA, etc., compared to the catabolic hormones like cortisol. And, uh, you know, you obviously want to have more of the anabolic hormones mm -hmm. and less of the, the catabolic hormones 
you know, the media has kind of gotten people thinking that anabolic means anabolic steroids, but anabolic just means, you know, healing and repairing. Mm. And so, you know, in the gym, a lot of people think that they're getting stronger while they're working out, but they're mm. actually in a catabolic state while they're working out. And your post-workout nutrition and, and rest and recovery is what puts you in an anabolic state. Mm, that was a really, I, I really appreciate that, that explanation. Um, you know, also what, what, comes up for me too is all my fascination into the hormonal symphony of the body and you mentioned these uh, what I would call androgenic uh, maybe not colloquially because androgenic is often termed as male sex hormones but like progesterone would fit into that in terms of being being the counterbalance to either cortisol or estradiol inflation we you know estrogen dominance um, and, and I know that cortisol is directly related to uh, estrogen dominance because um, I came to find that if someone has elevated cortisol, they share a similar pathway and cortisol can create estrogen dominance. Yeah, exactly. So in men, um, when you get elevated cortisol or elevated inflammation from anything, it puts you in a more estrogen dominant state. Mm. So you're more likely to aromatize your testosterone mm. into estrogen. In women, it's the opposite. So women with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome yeah. with high blood sugar, et cetera, and high cortisol, they actually create extra testosterone. And that's why they develop things like facial hair and acne, et cetera. So you're exactly right. When um, inflammation and cortisol um, are out of balance, that creates pregnenolone steel where you know, your precursor molecules or precursor hormone molecules are getting shunted to the production of cortisol. And it actually, in females, can happen with progesterone as well. I had a 38-year-old a client who was taking 200 milligrams a day of progesterone, but her levels were still really low because she had all these external and internal stressors that was causing her progesterone to become diverted into cortisol. Yeah, this all right, I have to I have to push this button since we're on the topic. And and interestingly enough uh for me, this has never really come up in any of the previous interviews up to this point. So um in the bridging of our two our two worlds, you know, when I think of aromatization, that conversion of aka good hormones into catabolic hormones and essentially just estrogen inflation. Um, I think of different herbal components like estrogen or aromatase inhibitors, right? And so right. th this is a very interesting perspective. Years ago when I got into this, I started to piece this, this thing that I was seeing. You know, when people take um, pine pollen or they take um, Tonkat Ali or certain very powerful androgenic herbs, um, with herbs, they're more like they have more of an intelligence opposed to a pharmaceutical or a synthesized nutrient that doesn't have a wide spectrum of cofactors to actually teach the body kind of what to do. So right. I would see people, um, I used to work at a tonic bar, a herbal tonic bar in LA. And so I would see people that were clearly overstimulated. They were clearly like, just like on that kind of rage, you know, that, that right. anabolic rage. And, um, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of um, some of the, the, the herbal components, but, the, you know, like things like deer antler, which is very yeah. androgenic. And so the, I remember this one time, this is when it, it started to come through to me. This one guy would always come in every day and he's like, I need 10 shots of deer antler. 
And I, I kind of looked at him one day, and I was like, I was their kind of regi- their their like go-to nutritionist or whatever. And I kind of mm-hmm. told him, I was like, I think you need some passion flower. I think you need some like yin herbs. I think you need something that's going to help you hold that testosterone that you clearly have in place. Because I, my thing is that if you keep doing the deer antler the way you're doing, it might actually be aromatizing or converting in a direction you don't want it to go. So that's an interesting thing is like using some of these these um, anabolic or, or androgenic hormone precursors and also putting in the, the, the estrogen blockers in place. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, you can take all the aromatase inhibitors you want, but, you know, if your blood sugar is out of balance... Mm. That negatively affects things, like you mentioned before, if your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis mm-hmm. is out of balance because your body is going to prioritize cortisol uh, before it prioritizes your sex hormones because without cortisol, you know, you uh, can die within a few right. hours. Um, without your sex hormones, you won't feel very good, but you can still survive. So it's like so, a hierarchy of priorities your body's working with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very much so. What are some of the things in your world that you've been availed to on this subject? Um, in terms of how to modulate the... Yeah, response? like how to modulate the, the, the hormone response, uh, maybe even like on the aromatization subject. Yeah, with the aromatization subject, definitely want to look at blood sugar imbalances and mm-hmm. blood sugar swings. Um, you know, that's a huge one. Toxicity, endocrine disrupting chemicals, that's another one. Um, things like zinc deficiency, mm, you know, you need zinc yeah. to, uh, help convert testosterone into its metabolites instead of estrogen. Um, but you know, first of all, you want to really look at the adrenal glands and what they're doing, um, and find this, not just support the adrenal glands because they don't just turn on by themselves, but find the stressors, both internal and external that are activating the adrenals and work on those, you can support the adrenal and adrenal axis in the short term, but the long-term goal should be to eradicate these stressors so that the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis isn't constantly turned on. What I tell people, I have kind of a silly saying, is that you can't have an erection when you're running from a tiger. Totally. (laughs) And, you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, if you're in a sympathetic state and your HPA is constantly turned on, and you're not in a parasympathetic state, then your body's not interested in reproduction. Right. It's kind of like that analogy of, or actually the way, um, the way that I was kind of educated scientifically on this concept is that when you're in that constant um, fight or flight state, your immune system, your immunological factors actually pretty much turn off because that's not the area of immediate priority. And so your body is getting this, this hypercatabolic signal perpetually and then your, your blood stops pooling to the digestive system like you alluded to um, and it goes to the immediate um, tissue functions based on like quick movement or, or, you know, running away from something or survival. And so like your immune system essentially collapses over time, correct? Yeah, you get uh, what we call immune senescence or T-cell mm. exhaustion where, uh, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of times what happens is people, when they do lab tests, they'll test for the number of immune cells and the number may be correct or optimal, 
but the activity of the cells may not be. Oh, and interesting. And there's certain uh, functional labs that can test the activity of the cells because you, you would be better off having a moderate amount of, you know, immunological cells that are very active than having, you know, uh, a large amount that are completely inactive. That is, this, so, this is so fun, wonderful. Um, when I hear you say it like that, where you may, you're testing the exterior numbers, the exterior immune cells, but you're not aware of their actual capabilities, their, their immune, the immune intelligence, essentially. And so I always, I, I think I just have like a, an innate calling to focus on that naturally as like, um, I look at like, okay, well, what is the intelligence of your immune system? Are they actually able to target foreign organisms or, or, or whatever the, the, the case is? And that's why I defer to things like, I don't know if you're familiar with the medicinal mushrooms. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. reishi and shaga and cordyceps and all those amazing things. And one of the great things that keeps coming back to me from that perspective is that the, the beta-glucans and the polysaccharides, the, the essential long-chain bitter sugars, they actually plug into the white cells like a USB port and upload immunological information. So your immune system actually is intelligent enough to do what it's designed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only time I, I don't use those herbs is I deal with a lot of people with mold toxicity. Okay. And because, you know, they're uh, derived from fungal origins, you know, it, it can irritate some people's immune systems. And the other thing that is kind of hard for some people to understand is that you can have uh, part of your immune system that's underactive and another part that's overactive. Okay. Um, and so it's not always so much about just boosting the immune system. It's more about modulating. Right, exactly. And, you know, there are different tests that can get kind of expensive that you can look at and see where the balance of the immune system is. But, uh, you know, you always want to have um, a, a healthy balance between Th1, Th2, Th17, which they just stands for T helper cells. And, you know, if you get stuck in one side of the immune system, that's when imbalances and autoimmune disorders mm-hmm. occur. Um, you should be able to switch, just like you should be able to switch from parasympathetic to sympathetic. You should be able to switch from Th1 to Th2. Wonderful. So essentially, <clears throat> when we think of an autoimmune condition, the, the, the distillation of that made simple is essentially your immune system is quote-unquote hyperstimulated. But what I'm getting from you is that it's not a blatant statement. It's not just like a general statement to say like, oh, your entire immune system, because your immune system is an advanced and complex kind of system. It's not just one thing. So what I'm getting from this is that it could be a part of your immune system that is hyper-stimulated, out of balance, but um, there's other factors in that immune complex to, to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's good to check, you know, different immune markers, both direct and indirect. And, uh, you know, there are some sort of home tests you can do where you take certain um, nutrients that stimulate Th1, and if they make you feel worse, that means you're Th1 dominant. And there are other nutrients you can take that stimulate Th2, and if they make you feel, say, better, then that means you're Th1 dominant, Th2 deficient. Most people with chronic issues um, are Th, I don't want to generalize it, but they're generally Th2 dominant. 
And Th1 is the part of your immune system that kills intracellular pathogens. Mm. So if you're stuck in a Th2 dominant state, you start to collect these pathogens over time. And they create what we call, and I'm sure you, you know this term, but a cytokine storm. Mm -hmm. And your listeners, they know it as well. They just may not have heard the term. So if you've experienced the flu or a cold, what the negative feelings that you're experiencing are actually from these pro-inflammatory molecules. It's not directly the pathogen itself. It's the immune system's response. And we have yeah. pro yeah, pro-inflammatory cytokines. And we have anti-inflammatory. Most people walking around today have too many pro-inflammatory cytokines, which not only damage your arterial walls, they poke holes in the blood-brain barrier and create brain fog and decreased intelligence. Um, they create what we call cytokine-induced sickness behavior, which means decreased sex drive, you want to sleep a lot, or you have severe insomnia. So pretty much all the negative symptoms you can think of are typically due to some degree, either directly or indirectly, from these molecules. Yeah, and what comes up for me as I hear you explain that is, um, you know, again, it comes back to this whole um, antibioticizing paradigm where we think that it's actually the, the, the said virus, fungus, the bacteria, the parasite in of itself that's causing the problem. But what we come to find out is that it's the... It's the excrement it's the 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 end products that those organisms are releasing into the body that are actually causing that inflammatory response right right exactly so with you know things like Lyme disease well I'll tell you a mentor a medical doctor mentor of mine he said you can't kill your way to health <laughs> and you know what he meant by that is that you know yeah antimicrobials are needed but you can't just take them over and over and over and over and over and over again um, you have to modulate the, and support the immune response, and you have to, and this gets into, uh, it's called low-dose allergy therapy or low-dose immunotherapy, where you take certain, uh, it's kind of like homopathy for the immune system, and it kind of tells the immune system it's okay that these pathogens are there, you know, because cavemen have been found to have this uh, Lyme spirochete in them. Oh, interesting. So, so that tells us right there that it, it, it's not necessarily the bugs, it's the terrain, yes. it's your immune system, it's your sympathetic dominance, it's your uh, subconscious mind and the uh, tapes that you play over and over in your head telling yourself that you can't get better mm. um, and the things that you've been programmed to believe, most of which are, are not true. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I think about um, Heliobacter pylori, H. pylori, a lot of people have heard of, and... When you really get down to it, essentially it appears to be um, the firewall in your digestive system being your gastric acids. Once that firewall is down, you're not producing the right amount or pH of gastric acid. Then some of these, these infectious organisms bind with the mucus and, and kind of get, they get rooted in. But if you have hydrochloric acid as it should be, then you know that, that's kind of like a firewall, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and it, you know, again, if you read the studies on H. pylori, half of them will say, you know, it predisposes you to gastric cancer or this sort of disorder, and the other half of the studies will say, you know, it's completely benign. And I think the differences in those study results comes from the terrain 
and the other health factors involved in someone's body. Um, you know, because a lot of people think that, you know, there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria, but we also have commensal bacteria, which they're healthy up to a certain extent, but if you have an overgrowth of those commensal bacteria, they crowd out some of your other beneficial bacteria, and they can essentially become detrimental. Right. Wow. It's like, I think of candida and all the all the stuff going on about candida, but really what it is, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, I guess the evolution of a, of a yeast essentially, um, that has, that was designed to be there to eat up like necrotic matter and material, dead material. It's like a recycling organism, but then when the terrain gets out of balance, it, it like morphs into this other, this other, uh, infection. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, that's where some of the homeopathic remedies come in. Um, the FDA, unfortunately, has cracked down on some of them, but they are basically uh, immunoeducators is what I call them. You know, they educate the immune system to keep the pathogen or quote-unquote pathogen in the harmless form versus allowing the terrain to become out of balance, and that's when it becomes, you know, an opportunistic infection that, you know, invades the body. Right. So what I want to what I want to go into with you, I know you're a huge proponent of uh, superoxide dismutase and glutathione and glutathione precursors, and those are clearly are some of the most important, um, you know, enzyme antioxidant toxin removal um, uh, molecules in the body. Let's really let's dive into that. Yeah, so with glutathione, you know, glutathione is the body's most powerful antioxidant, but some factor, and it's made through what we call the methylation pathway or methylation cycle, but some things that uh, most people don't know about glutathione is that, number one, it's uh, what controls the redox status, meaning the balance of pro-oxidants to antioxidants and the charge inside your cells. It's also a natural antiviral. It's crucial for thyroid health. And it's very crucial for the health of the gut mucosal lining. And so if you have low glutathione, not only are you not going to be able to detox, you're, the viruses are going to go crazy and replicate more often. And you're gonna, your immune function is going to decrease. And uh, from what I've read, as your levels of glutathione go down, your risk of pretty much every disorder out there uh, increases. And so glutathione, one of its other important roles is that it sits in front of the batteries of our cells, the mitochondria, um, and it does that along with superoxide dismutase, another um, potent antioxidant, and they pretty much try and catch any free radicals that could damage the mitochondria because the mitochondria, they're very sensitive to oxidative stress. And so when we don't have enough of these antioxidants, our mitochondria can become damaged. And, you know, when we think about energy, we think about, you know, like the energy to exercise or run or lift weights. But energy is required for the normal tissue functions of your body. And so if those mitochondria get hurt or damaged enough, you know, overall tissue and ultimately organ function will begin to decrease. So are these two enzymes, superoxide dismutase and glutathione, are they acting like gatekeepers um, at the gate of the mitochondria? Yes, to, to some degree. They, they sit there in front of the mitochondria and they try to catch as many of these harmful compounds and molecules 
as they can. And so every time we're exposed to, you know, a toxin, whether it's, you know, environmental air pollution or whatever, we're using up some of our glutathione, especially, and superoxide dismutase. And so you can also have certain genetic polymorphisms where you basically have these little hiccups in your biochemistry and you may not make enough of the glutathione. And so it can be important to supplement with the cofactors or certain direct forms of these antioxidants um, because the, what we call the redox status of the cell, again, the balance of the antioxidants and the peroxidants, that really controls everything inside the cell in terms of what's going on. I, I got to tell you, um, I I, <clears throat> I had some like little bit of like energy issues uh, not that long ago, and just kind of mental stuff, uh, just like brain little brain fog and hiccups here and there. And I've been playing with like nootropics and all kinds of um, cognitive enhancement and neurological protective strategies, but. It wasn't until I started supplementing with N-acetylcysteine, NAC mm -hmm. for short, that I started to have like almost immediate clarity in my mind. Like I, I really like it, it to the point where emotionally and spiritually, I felt way more connected. I felt way happier. Like my my nervous system was just like immediately modulated it was like profound and so ever since then i've like gotten deeper into the subject you're talking about um but for me i found like nac and i know it's not the only thing but nac as a precursor for glutathione um is really powerful yeah nac alpha lipoic acid mm. um certain um herbs can help as precursors you can also do the topical form of glutathione uh, one of the companies I work with, they have a, a lotion that's a topical glutathione. Um, and if you have a, a physician or a nurse practitioner that will write you for um, either IVs of glutathione or um, intranasal glutathione, those can also be very helpful. And uh, there's also the liposomal forms that you can take on an empty stomach that are supposed to have superior bioavailability. And, uh, you know, balancing glutathione is very important. If someone's extremely toxic, they may have to take it easy uh, and start at a very, very low dose. Otherwise, it's kind of like you're opening up all these pathways at once and your body doesn't really know what to do with it. And especially if your gut health and your kidney health aren't optimal, it can make you feel sort of auto-intoxicated. Right. Actually, it's funny you even said auto-intoxicated because I was thinking about that earlier. Um... But anyways, um, yeah, I, I kind of want to go more into this subject because it's like it connects to all kinds of things like methylation. Um, actually, you know what? I would love to I would love to touch on that because that is a very popular concept right now. And when I first got into the idea of methylation, it was kind of confusing um, with all the different information. But it's actually a very simple process that. I realized over the years of being into like raw food and cleansing, I'm like, wait a minute, this appears to be actually what's going on. The, the liver congestion and the, the, the residual you know, pharmaceutical or street drug um, uh, congestion that, that holds up in the liver. So essentially we're talking about a process that relieves toxicity of the liver and allows it to, to um, function better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, 
with the, the methylation cycle as a whole, it actually encompasses over or right at 100 different biochemical reactions. And methylation simply means adding a, a carbon atom with three hydrogen atoms to different molecules. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that methylation is responsible for is the production of glutathione, um, some of the production of coenzyme Q10 and carnitine, uh, production of your neurotransmitters like mm -hmm. serotonin, dopamine, GABA. So those are extremely important. And uh, overall, just keeping the, uh, the mitochondria and the energy cycle going, it plays an important role in that. Um, and also an important role in controlling inflammation and the production of myelin, which is the coating mm -hmm. that goes around our nerves. So um, MTHFR, or, or, you know, is short for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase, and that's just the enzyme that converts folic acid, which is synthetic, to methylfolate, which is what we can use. And so for people, you know, who have one or two copies of the MTHFR enzyme, you want to stay away from folic acid because it actually builds up in the bloodstream, and there's a test you can do for it, and it lowers your natural killer cells, so it can actually predispose you to things like cancer. Um, other things that can happen is uh, pregnancy loss, miscarriages are common, um, and what the research is showing is that you know what you and I do today can epigenetically affect up to four generations after us. Mm. And so it's not a true genetic hardwiring, but you know if we went through you know a war or a car crash or something like that that can manifest several you know generations down the line wow that's that's incredible so essentially say somebody that's been in a very traumatic situation they went to war or whatever the case is that that epigenetic transference of just like the trauma points that build up in the physical tissue that I, I see a lot of people that have, you know, I'm, I'm in the world of like kind of like I'm in all the different kind of like niches of consciousness, like past life regression, hypnotherapy and um, trauma removal and all that kind of stuff. Right. So what kind of comes up for me is like, wow. So it appears that somebody that's born 20 years ago can manifest certain traumas that manifest or that 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 uh form in their actual body and it might not even be essentially a trauma they had right exactly and you know you know more about these therapies than i do but you know there's family constellation work um where you can uh work on you know path like whatever your ancestors experienced that was stressful mm -hmm. or whatever your parents um grandparents etc experienced and you know work through some of those things that you know aren't at the conscious level and you may have no idea what's going on but when you bring them up you know it's sort of an awakening and you can actually get a release of toxins at the same time right i um i see this happen a lot i have a very close friend of mine on the island here in hawaii where i live and he is an incredible neuromuscular release therapist. The work he does is unbelievable. And, and basically what I always see from, from the work I've done with him, but seeing other people go into his office, it's like an off-gassing of emotional trauma and all this stuff like just beyond the physical. It just like off-gasses out of people. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, doing things like inner child work or, you know, traumas that were never resolved, um, you know, definitely can affect the, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system balance. And like you said, also controls the immune system. So, you know, if you had trauma as a child, it doesn't mean you can't get well and be optimally healthy, but you might have to just do some extra things to get around that. Mm, so again, we bring it back to the holistic and lifestyle concept opposed to um, this thing, that thing, this thing being the actual, the actual uh, issue. It's, it's, it's how you live your life, essentially, is what I'm getting from this. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And so a lot of people think, you know, methylation just means you have to take some methylfolate and B12, but you can have too much oxidative stress, things like heavy metals. They can also block the methylation cycle. And so you have to remove the toxins and you also have to supply the other cofactors such as magnesium, zinc, and the other B vitamins like B1, B2, B3, etc. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a comprehensive program. And gut health is important, too, because if gut health is not optimal, phase three detoxification doesn't work as well, and it sends these biotoxins, these lipopolysaccharides or endotoxins to the liver, and that negatively affects your phase one and your phase two detox, and phase two is where methylation occurs. So you is can that, have... Is that like the cytochrome P450 process? Yeah, so phase one is cytochrome P450. Okay. And then phase two consists of six different reactions, acetylation, transsulfuration, methylation, mm. things like that. And so, you know, if you have too many harmful bacteria releasing endotoxins, that overworks the liver. And then that kind of shifts a lot of the stress to the kidneys. And that's why so many people will have abnormal kidney marker values on their labs, like the BUN, blood urea, nitrogen, and creatinine levels. Mm, that's fascinating. I've actually never heard of phase three. You always hear about phase one, phase two detoxification, liver detoxification. It's like, but now like phase three, um, okay, that's something new to me. Yeah, so phase three is, uh, you'll see some of the molecules, they're called CMOT, things like that, and they're the transporters to get toxins out of the body because in an optimally healthy body, what happens is metals should be excreted through the stool, but when there's gut inflammation or malabsorption or dysbiosis or whatever may be occurring, it shifts the stress to the kidneys. And that's why, you know, we look and think of the kidneys as, you know, being the chelating um, organs of the body. Okay, got it. So phase three essentially is chelation, extraction. Yeah, it's pulling things out of the body, exactly. Okay, got it. Are you... um are you familiar with um, things like uh, trimethylglycine or calcium deglucrate and all those kind of like um, xenoestrogen removal products? Yeah, yeah. so calcium deglucrate I'll use when uh, someone has elevated beta-glucuronidase or gut issues. Um, but I also try to optimize gut health as well and liver health. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain polymorphisms, which um, you know we won't get too much into, but one's called COMT, and that one can ten- cause a tendency for you to collect estrogens in the body. And so if you have those polymorphisms, you have poor gut health, you have blood sugar imbalances, and you have inflammation, then you're set up to be estrogen dominant. Fascinating. <laughs> All the pieces kind of come together. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Let's, uh, man, I feel like this just went by like in five minutes. I know. Um, I feel the same way. I, but I, I want to, I want to, um, I want to, I think the last thing I want to discuss um, for the benefit of everyone and myself is mold toxicity because this is kind of an undercurrent. This is an under the radar epidemic that pretty much everybody is susceptible to because everyone within a financial capacity is living in a house. Right. Yeah. So with mold toxicity, people think that, you know, you have to live in an old house or you have to have water damage to have mold. But, um, you know, I'll give you an example of a patient I had when I was in North Carolina and she had a house that was only, you know, two or three years old. And the way they seal houses to make them so energy efficient, it creates uh, poor airflow. And there's only a few species of mold in, in the house. And when you don't have that competition from the other species, you tend to get mold overgrowth. The other thing is, you know, depending on what part of the country you live in, um, you know, I'm from South Carolina. And so there, you know, we have to have dehumidifiers underneath our house. Um, so that the air coming in, you know, is not moist because you can go in and um, remediate the mold, but it's going to come back if you don't correct the moisture problem. And you don't have, you know, there's about 200 different species that I know of of mold. The only one that you really see and smell is the black mold, which is called Stachybotrys. And I want to make an important point here for your listeners, and that's bleach and Clorox do not kill mold. Mm. All they do is change the color. And I see this happen a lot in schools. They'll see spots and they'll, you know, pour bleach on them, <laughs> thinking that, you know, it's killing the mold and it's not doing anything. And that's why 25% of the population has a certain epigenetic or I guess you could say genetic profile where you can't detoxify mold toxins, which we call mycotoxins. Uh. And and this is a separate issue from having a mold allergy. Now, you can have both. You can have a mold allergy and trouble detoxifying. But, for example, myself, I have what's called the dreaded genotype, which means that I can't detoxify mold at all. So if you don't have that, you and I are living in the same house, you know, I'm having all these weird symptoms, and you're sitting there thinking I'm, you know, cuckoo, um, because, you know, <laughs> your body's able to excrete the mycotoxins. Um, and for people that have, you know, the issues with the excretion, you know, you have to be extra careful with your house, you know, where you go, um, and you have to use things like binders. Uh, I use zeolite, yes. um, activated charcoal, pectisol, one called Takasimi Supreme, which is derived from the bamboo tree. Um, you can go that route, and there's also a protocol. It's called the Patricia Kane Protocol after the doctor who came up with it. And it involves taking high doses of phosphatidylcholine to flush the liver and gallbladder because that's where these biotoxins tend to accumulate. And just to give your listeners some ideas of the far-reaching implications of mold and mycotoxins, uh, it interferes with a hormone that most people haven't heard of. It's called alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone, or alpha-MSH for short. And it's responsible for pain control, sleep, downstream hormone production, and also skin pigmentation. So um, your sleep will become, you know, fragmented. Uh, you know, you may have a lot of post-nasal drip. You may become really pale. You may get dark circles under your eyes. Um, all sorts of things that can occur. And it creates 
what we call, uh, the acronym is CIRS, Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome. So we can go and remove the mold, but we also have to kind of modulate and calm down the immune system and, and let it know that it's okay that the mold is now gone. Wow. It, um, wow. So I, I, think of, I think of people that have personality disturbances, agitation, um, and also behavioral issues like children that are sitting in school and they're sitting at a desk and they're listening to a monotone teacher and they're like agitated and they can't, they can't sit straight and they're labeled ADHD or ADHD and oftentimes my whole thing was like, wow, it's basically a food allergy condition that they're being prescribed um, some kind of, uh, you know, psychological right. um, uh, medication of sorts and... But this goes even further is that, you know, I think of things like candida and you know how it, it shifts people's personality. Like it's like candida consciousness with people. Right. Um, and that I'm, I'm assuming we're pretty much talking about the same thing with this mold toxicity. Yeah. So, you know, you can have the mold toxins build up and you can also have a systemic infection of mold growth, you know, which you would need antifungals for. Um, but, you know, you, one thing that people don't realize is that Things like ozone, it'll kill mold, but dead mycotoxins for people that have these genetic glitches, they're uh, as immunostimulating as uh, living mycotoxins. So that's where um, uh, the product's called TM100. It's a biodegradable enzyme that helps kind of digest the mycotoxins mm. so that you don't get that stimulation to the person you know who's experiencing these symptoms. Wow, that thank you so much for bringing that point up, and that that kind of brings full circle this whole like um, you know let's kill things kind of modality because you know like killing a parasite or something. Um, now you have a dead organism in your body and your immune system is probably responding to it like a foreign organism and it can't move it out. So it's almost, it's like decaying within you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why for these people, you know, like myself who can't detoxify mold well, you know, we have to be extra careful and we have to take supplements at, at times to help, you know, bring it out of the body. Right. How would, how would somebody test for this genetic defect? Um, LabCorp, um, uh, the test is called, it's an HLA, which stands for human leukocyte antigen testing. Um, if you go to the website, I think it's survivingmold.com. It's, uh, Richie Shoemaker's website. He's the one, the doctor who kind of brought mold to the forefront. I believe he actually has the LabCorp codes on there. And uh, when you get the results, there are sites you can go to online that will help you decipher what your profile is because it's not directly readable from the results. Um, but there's a basically five different levels of the gene that you can have, um, you know, in terms of not being able to detoxify mold. Interesting. Um, I want to ask you, are you familiar with um, certain like electronic medicine like zappers? Yeah, I uh, I know a little bit about zappers. I know a fair amount about Rife machines mm -hmm. and things like that and electromedicine. Um, I'm not an expert in them, but uh, yeah, I've used them periodically throughout the years. Yeah, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, a lot of people have said that people with long-standing Lyme condition, they've done all the diet stuff, they've like been through the whole thing, and then they say once they started doing zappers, like the... Um, 
you know, the old one was the Holda Clark and then the Don right. Croft Zappers. That was the thing that actually knocked out the the uh, the stealth pathogens, if you will. And it's basically just sending um, a square wave electrical current through the circulatory system and and it basically disrupts the the resonant frequency that these pathogens operate under. Right, right, yeah, and that gets into how EMFs can negatively affect pathogens mm. as well because they kind of send signals to mold to produce more mycotoxins and more wow. potent mycotoxins. And so that's kind of focusing on, you know, two different ends of the spectrum, but the point being that, you know, these uh, electrical EMF-type systems can affect pathogens. Wow, so, so wild. Whew, okay. Absolutely. Um, wow, I feel like we just went through so much in such a short amount of time. Um, I would love to, to, to uh, bring some concluding um, content here. What, what am I even trying to ask? What are some of the, the maybe actionable steps and just insights that you could leave all of us based on, you know, our conversation here? Yeah, well, uh, in terms of um, mold, you know, we just talked about mold, having your home tested for mold. Um, there are different tests out there. One's called an ERMI, capital E-R-M-I, um, or you can have someone come in and do air sampling or, or um, you know, vacuum sampling of mold. Um, you can also have uh, what's called a urine real-time labs test that tests for mold or mycotoxins that are coming out through your urine. Um, so those are some things you can do if you're having brain fog, a lot of post-nasal drip, you just don't feel like yourself maybe. Um, and I, I think it's a good idea for everyone to have their, their home tested because uh, especially if they have one of these genotypes, it, you know, what's safe for one person, it, you know, is not going to be safe for another person. So it's always context dependent. Um, other things, I would say, you know, all the nutrition stuff that you focus on, circadian cycle, getting enough sun, earthing, um, you know, getting rid of Wi-Fi. Um, I, I hardwire in to my computer. Um, I keep the cell phone away from me most of the time or in airplane mode, um, and I have you know, certain devices that you can get to plug into the walls to decrease the, the EMF exposure. And uh, another important point that I forgot is you should also have your car tested for mold and check your cabin air filter regularly because um, if you're sensitive to mold and mycotoxins and you live in a, a humid area or you've had a water leak or you know, water spilled in your car, you know, there could be mold growing there. So, you know, don't forget to check that out. Uh, in terms of basic immune support, you know, magnesium along with vitamin D and vitamin A are extremely important. Um, balancing your cortisol and DHEA is important because DHEA is extremely uh, effective in terms of boosting and modulating the immune system. Um, keeping your zinc levels um, optimized. And if you want to check your zinc levels, you can ask your practitioner for what's called a red blood cell zinc test. And that tells us how much zinc is inside the cells. We want that to be optimal because zinc is involved in over 200 biochemical reactions. Um, and then, you know, meditation and, and the spiritual stuff. 
and the inner child work and the trauma release that you know we talked about briefly that you know much more about than I do I'm just getting into that can you can do all the IVs all the supplements all the organic food in the world but if you have these tapes playing in your head over and over that you're no good that you know you can't succeed that you can't overcome this then that's going to simply negate everything you're doing that is that is such a profound uh, point of interest because I was raised originally in the success philosophy personal development um, world, right? And so I had that that backbone. Fortunately, um, and that's the work that I I merge in with the health stuff is that 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 psychological mindset like. Um, aspect of that because I found that, and especially being in the raw food world as deep as I've been into it, it's just a fascinating phenomenon of people that I've seen what actually works. I've seen people that make this thing work and people that don't. And the, the distinction besides like, you know, like somebody's metabolic signature doing a diet that's imbalanced is ultimately their attitude and their, their, the, the personality, um, factors you know like you just said like running that tape of like okay I'm, I'm cleansing i'm doing juices i'm doing all this other stuff but why do i still hold weight on my body it's like well maybe you're holding a whole lot of pressure on yourself you're putting pressure on yourself and you're you have these these um childhood traumas or whatever that you've never actually worked through so you're using food cosmetically without using it like as fuel that gives you more clarity to actually, you know, reprogram. Absolutely. Yeah, that was well said. Very well said. Mm. Wow. I, I definitely, I'm going to say this to you um, and for everyone, I'm going to have to get you back on the show because we've really just kind of uh, scratched the surface here. And there, this just opens up so much more. It's an infinite conversation, and you're just a vault of, of very specific knowledge that I just want to pry out some more. So we're definitely going to have to set that up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to be back on. Cool. So where, where can people tune directly into your work? Uh, they can email me. My email is uh, lowercase d-r-t-i-m, and then the number 0729. 81 at gmail.com so dr tim 072981 at gmail.com and my website is healyourbody.org.org you can also find my professional facebook page dr tim jackson uh, and message me or contact me through there and uh, i'd be happy to answer any questions Mm, wonderful thank you so much for being a guest on the show absolutely thank you so much for having me yeah all right, everyone out there, wow, thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I really hope that you took out some insights, principles, and strategies that you can immediately implement into your lifestyle design. You know, remember that the conversations are amazing, but unless you take a nugget out that you can take action on and explore this with your own experience um, it, it's not going to accrue the results that you really are trying to get. So just, I really encourage you guys to, to listen to these podcasts, especially an informational rich one like this. Listen to it over and over. It's one hour out of your day. Go for a walk. Make it part of your active meditation and let the information sink in because over time, 
little aha moments will arise for you. Even for me listening to this, I'm only able to comprehend the conversation because of all the, the, um, you know, the years of being in this field and allowing my mind to open up to it. So as you open up to it, new insights will come to you as you're ready for it. So with that said, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to this. And until next time, aloha. Thank you, Ronnie.